Transformation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. dominion over we did day one what is dominion and simply defined dominion is god giving the believer power to subdue darkness under our feet dominion is not taking commands from satan but giving commands to satan dominion is making life line up not waiting for life to line up with god's word but making life line up with god's word by by uh, declaring and confessing boldly the promises of the scripture. Dominion is having it your way every day, any day of the week. Dominion is making the devil your slave instead of you being his slave. Dominion is assuming the champion position that you have in life to not only prevail against the forces of darkness, not only to overpower the forces of darkness, but to make it so that the forces of darkness are no longer an issue. They're no longer even relative to what you're doing. You are moving unhindered. You are moving without delay. You are moving as like a bulldozer, clearing out the obstacles, not by might or by power, but by the Holy Ghost that dwells in us. That is what dominion is. Dominion is essentially not holding anchor in the storms of life it is not seeking comfort in the storms of life dominion is when you start to understand the power that's been afforded to you in the name of jesus to take dominion and authority over the storms of life that have been sent to destroy you so what is dominion dominion is understanding life is not going to give you what you deserve life is going to give you what you demand that God, yes, is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has given us this book of instruction so that we can learn how to exercise our authority that he has bestowed on us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross of Christ, of Christ at the cross. Um, and so dominion is understanding that though God is sovereign, in his sovereignty, he has given us the keys of the kingdom to demand things in life to line up with the word of God, to demand things line up with the word of God, with the covenant of God, with the promises of God. Dominion essentially is when you become the devil's bully instead of him being your bully. It's when the tables get turned, that whatever we were dominated by, we now dominate. The Bible says we uh, were, the, were part of the first Adam and through Adam, Death entered the world and death and Satan reigned over all. But now much more through the abundance of grace given to us at Calvary and the gift of righteousness that we've received through the finished work of the cross, we now reign in life over the things that used to reign over us. Dominion is reigning in life. It is confronting and conquering the things and the enemies and the opposition sent to take you out. Who has dominion was yesterday. Who has dominion? Very simply, 
summarized in yesterday's broadcast is Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 19. Jesus told his disciples, I give you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you. And he said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who has dominion? Who do demons subject themselves to? Very simple. Jesus said it. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you are saved, if you are blood washed, if you are blood bought, if you have received Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God on the earth to execute the dominion mandate and manifest your sonship. If you are saved, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, demons are subject to you. Satan himself is subject to you. So who has dominion? Those who are saved, those who are believers, those who have received Christ, those who have been born again, born from above. We talked about it yesterday. The five things that, um, that solidify our dominion. Number one, we are seated in Christ in heavenly places far above any power or principality or authority. Two, we are grafted in Christ. We've been grafted in Christ. We've been plugged in, and now his DNA flows in us. Three, we've been translated to a higher kingdom, higher than the devil's kingdom. Four, we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. The greater one lives in us. And then number five, we carry the blessing of Abraham. The Abrahamic blessing that empowered him that in, an, in a world where there was no Christian favor or there was no other Christian or other believer, Abraham exercised an authority over the financial realm, over the physical realm, over the realm of military because he was a, a military leader. He led 318 trained soldiers into war and prevailed. He never lost the battle. He held dominion in everything he engaged to do. He always came out with triumphant victory. That blessing of Abraham, Galatians 3 says, is now on those who believe in Christ Jesus. So what is dominion? Who has dominion? Those are great things to know. Those are excellent things to understand. And I spent over two and a half hours describing from the Bible our dominion reality and the fact that it's not something you have to work your way into. The moment you come into the kingdom of God, those keys of dominion are given to you. It's a gift. We talked about the prodigal son coming back and he was given a white robe of righteousness which signified his justification by faith. And then he was given a signet ring of authority that gave him the ability to cause his enemies to bow everywhere he went. It gave him the authority of the father. The Bible says the father took his ring off and gave it to him. It's the authority of heaven bestowed on the body of Christ. Christ is the head, but Christ, in order to execute his authority on the earth, he has to do it through his body. So we understand what is dominion, who has dominion. But if all you know is those two things, you're still going to be dominated. You're still going to be confused because... It's like a, a, a police officer has to know what he has authority over in order for him to properly function in his office as police officer. A police officer doesn't have authority over everything. The police officer has authority over certain things. He understands what authority is. He understands he's been given a badge of authority. But what does the police officer have authority over? 
You know, a police officer can't just come on a sidewalk and tell me stop if I'm not doing anything illegal. Can't just pull me out randomly and tell me to stop without any type of uh, reason. But he can, however, if he's directing traffic, he can stop two-ton vehicles. He can stop SUVs and 18-wheeler semi-trucks. He can stop those things with just the lifting of his hand. Why? Because he understands that when he puts that badge on and he's been given a commission from his commissioner, from his sergeant, to go and direct traffic at a certain intersection, that he can indeed execute and exercise that authority to stop these things that in the natural, they have the power to run him over. But simply him lifting his hand, simply him lifting his hand, because of that badge he wears and the understanding of the power that backs the authority that represents that badge, people stop. People are directed by his little hand, waving in different directions. So he understands that he knows, or he, he understands what he has power and authority over. In the same vein, it's important to understand what we have as believers dominion over. And I've written down five, five things, five areas in life that you, as a born-again believer, have dominion over that you don't have to be dominated by these things any longer by virtue of your joining with Christ. The Bible makes it very clear, these five things that we're going to go through, that you don't have to struggle, you don't have to go through, you don't have to endure, you don't have to coexist with, you don't have to tolerate these things in your life anymore. God has given you overcoming power to triumph in every area of life and in these five specific areas. Number one, what do we have dominion over? Number one, we have dominion over sin. I want you to write that in the comment section. I have dominion over sin. Where do we read that in the Bible? Because a lot of times what you hear in modern Christian circles, and a lot of times my age and younger preachers are coming out, preaching this greasy grace that is camouflaged in this pity message of life is tough, sin's hard to beat, it's tough to break free from sin, we all sin every day, it's not realistic to think that we'll ever have victory over all sin, you know, one day when we get to heaven, we'll finally put on Christ in his entirety, and then we'll break free from sin, but on this earth, we're left to struggle in sin and battle sin and battle addiction our entire life. I'm going to show you that that's not Paul's message. And I know a lot of people use Romans 7 to have a scapegoat, to live a life of compromise. They say things like, I know what I have to do and I know what the right thing to do is, but the power to do it is not in me. And they use the scapegoat to escape the responsibility of the believer to engage in holy living. Holy living is still Bible. Holy living is still relevant with God. Holy living is still something God expects from you. It doesn't matter how deprived the culture is. It doesn't matter how compromised the church may be. It doesn't matter how greasy grace the message may be holy living clean living sin is still an enemy holy living is still required of me the bible says this is the will of god for you your sanctification that each of us should know how to possess our own vessels in holiness and in honor hallelujah 
So people use Romans 7, where Paul talks about this battle he used to have, where he knew what to do, he knew the right thing to do, but the power to do it was not there with him. But they don't read the book of Romans in context. Paul wasn't saying that was his life now. Paul was giving us a picture of what it meant to be bound by the law. But he moves on to say, who's going to free me from this wretched body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he moves on to say the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So you don't see Paul whining and complaining about his inability to overcome sin any longer. He's saying when I was bound by the law of sin and death, that's when I had no ability to overcome. But in Romans 8, 2, he says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from this law of sin and death. Now let's go to Romans 6 in light of what we just went through. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin? I want you to write that in the comment section. I'm dead to sin. What a powerful confession to make. Instead of repeating what the devil wants you to repeat like an empty-headed parrot and start saying, well, we sin every day. How many of you know sin's a regular part of life, amen? And you have people like a choir from hell, amen, in that. It's exactly what the devil wants you to repeat. Because what you repeat leads to your defeat. What you repeat leads to your defeat. Oh, we sin every day. Sin's a regular part. Don't judge me by my sin just because it's different from your sin. They've normalized sin. And the devil wants you to normalize sin. The devil wants you to normalize his program and his destiny for your life. Make it normal. Well, you know, I know brother so-and-so, and, you know, he, he's a Christian. He's been praying his whole life, but he always has been doing this. Let every man's testimony and story be a liar. Let God be true. I'm not interested in brother so-and-so, and, and, you know, God will deal with brother so-and-so. But I'm not risking my salvation based on brother so-and-so. I'm going to live in light of the commands of Scripture. Jesus said, whoever, and, and this might be a Scripture you may have never heard, taught and preached in church. But nevertheless, it's in the Bible, and it's Jesus. Yeah, Jesus who said, I'm full of grace, and I'm full of truth. That same Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, keeps them, not just has my commandments. There's a lot of people that are teaching now that Repentance is not required that solely faith alone can bring salvation. Faith has proof. Faith has res uh, evidence. You can't say you have faith without having a lifestyle that lines up with the word of God. You can't say you have faith in God without having this drive towards holiness. And so, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but faith carries proofs. James said, if your faith has no proof, it's dead. It's fake. If your faith has no proof, it's fake. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. It's not genuine. And so there's a lot of people saying that there's only, we just need to believe that repentance is an outdated thing. Repentance is not something required by God. Well, if that's the case, why did John the Baptist have the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Why did Jesus have the message who said, repent for the kingdom of God is here? Why did the early church in Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, when he preached it, he said in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, when the people were cut to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved? He started off not by believe. He said, repent and believe that you and your house may be saved. Why did Peter in Acts chapter 3, when he had healed the lame that was a cripple from his mother's womb, over 40 years crippled, and the crowd 
crowd came together to hear what Peter had to say. And Peter said, therefore, repent and let all your sins be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's always the word repentance. I know it's the rated R word of the church, but the word repentance is still applicable. The Bible still commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. And repentance is not holding hand with sin and holding hand with Jesus and relying on his grace. Repentance is ditching hands with sin and clinging to Jesus's hand who by his grace you are empowered to live a holy life. Romans 6, very clearly, Romans 6. Let's move on. Romans 6. How shall we who died to sin live any longer to it? So do you see the relationship that God paints the believer with sin? He doesn't say there's a, a living relationship between the believer in Christ and sin. He talks about this mortification that took place, this death that took place. It talks about a severed relationship. It talks about this divorce from sin. Divorce. When a man divorces a wife and a couple is split, the, the legal relationship is severed. The requirements to a, from a man to his wife is severed. The requirements, the, the, the resources that one spouse may have to the other is no longer at each one's disposal. There's a complete severance. There's a complete splitting. There's a divorce from it. That person is dead to the other. They don't talk anymore. They're severed. They're cut off. That's what G Paul is saying here. You've been divorced from sin. You've been cut off from sin. How shall you who died to sin live any longer in it? Could you imagine someone got divorced from their spouse, but then every night still showed up to sleep in the same bed, eat the same meals from the same table, and live in the same house? That would be ludicrous. There's nothing like that. Paul's saying when you divorce sin, you don't live in the same house. You don't want the same things. You don't have the same desires anymore. You're cut off. Or don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Even so we should walk in newness of life. Newness of life. There should be a difference. Paul's trying to snap people out of this heresy that was floating through the Roman church that if we sin more, that God's grace will have more opportunity to abound. Paul's saying that's garbage, that's rubbish doctrine, that's satanic deception to keep you engaged in a life of sin that at the end of that tunnel is not going to be light, it's going to be a lake of fire and a darkness that could even be felt and a worm that does not die out. Paul's trying to snap people out of it. He's saying, hey, grace is not empowerment to keep sinning with a guilt-free conscience. Grace is empowerment to go and sin no more. Grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Grace is an empowerment that God gives the believer to go and sin no more. And I'm telling you, contrary to what you may have heard, it is possible to go and sin no more. It is possible. These people preach perfection. Perfection is not a destination. Perfection is a path that you keep to. I'm not saying you'll never stumble again. Although you can if you keep to the path. I'm not saying that you'll never sin again. I'm saying that the moment you do sin, there's something about grace that brings a conviction of what you've done so that you can get back into divine alignment, get back onto the path of perfection, the path of the just that shines brighter and brighter even to that perfect day. So it's not this 
three-month hiatus from the kingdom where we say bye-bye Jesus and we engage for three months in this sin that we're just taking pleasure in until it runs its course and then the ugly nature of sin resurrects again and then we come running back to God. No, that's not what grace is. Grace is the empowerment to keep clean, to keep holy, to keep in a lifestyle of righteousness in its practical form. Hallelujah. For if we've been united together in the likeness of Jesus' death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, Romans 6, 6, get this tattooed on your spirit. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Stop giving excuses that a demon's making you do this, that the devil made you do this, that a spirit of lust made you do this, and a spirit of fornication made you do this, and a spirit of anger made you do this. I'm not ignoring the reality of demon spirits, but when we read about Paul's letter informing the believers of their dominion over sin, he's not even bringing up the devil He's bringing up the flesh and he's bringing up the body of sin, which is the sinful nature, the carnal nature that was in man. And what do we read? He doesn't talk about this lifelong battle with it. He talks about what occurred when you were united together with Christ in his crucifixion. That the body of sin was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be no longer there. No longer exist so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Doesn't talk about being a slave to Satan. It talks about being a slave of sin. See, the devil's trap is not to make you a slave to him. He wants to make you a slave to sin. Because if he can get you into sin, then he can get you into everything that sin brings upon the human race. Death, sorrow, horror, anxiety, depression, distress, confusion. Envy, bitterness of heart, unforgiveness. He'll bring everything else with that. So he seeks to make men slaves of sin. But the good news here, contrary to what's preached a lot of times in Western churches, is that we have dominion over sin. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer, what is a slave? A slave is one who is bound to do the commands of his master. When you were without Christ, we were bound to do the commands of Satan. It was easy to sin. When we were without Christ, nobody had to cheerlead you to sin. It was in you. You were moved in that direction. There was a law of sin in your heart that caused you to produce those things in your life. But when you came to Christ, you became a slave of Christ, a slave to righteousness, and you are now free in regards to sin, but you're a slave to righteousness. That the same drive you used to have towards going to alcohol and bars and strip clubs, and all kinds of wicked things, to watch wicked things on your television set, to do and, add and act and behave in a certain wicked way. The drive you used to have to put drugs into your veins, to smoke pot, to smoke cigarettes. He's saying that you've been set free, set free from that body of sin, that drive, and God now puts in you a new drive Unto righteousness, a drive to pray, a drive to read the Bible, a drive to be in church, a drive to soul win, a drive to live holy, a drive to hate what is evil, abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. He moves on to say, 
For he who has died has been freed from sin. Do you see the past tense here? Freed from sin. Not battling sin. Just battling sin. Just battling on. doesn't say that. I don't know where people got that from. There's nothing, and I'm going to go into other scriptures in the moments to come that show you it's not a battle. It's not a battle. Freed from sin. Past tense. It's done. You have to start speaking and confessing things in line with what the word of God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. Stop saying I battle alcohol. Stop saying I battle sin. Stop saying I battle addiction. Instead say I'm freed from addiction. I'm freed from alcohol. I'm freed from sin. I'm freed from anger. I'm freed from envy. I'm freed from sexual immorality. I'm free from pornography. I'm free from uh, 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 confusion. I'm free from these things. Well, I don't know if I can say that because I don't really feel that way. You're never wrong when you quote God. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Now, Paul's pinning it on the reader. Likewise, you also reckon, reckon, recognize yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, in light of all this, therefore is in light of all this, therefore is, I'm going to summarize what all this means for you now. I'm going to make this applicable to you now. I'm going to tell you what I just said that might be a little confusing. You don't know how it's going to pan out practically. Well, here's how you can have it pan out for you practically. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and no longer present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God verse 14 for sin shall no longer have dominion over you for you are not under law but you are under grace hallelujah hallelujah I'm no longer under law what is he talking about law he's not talking about our uh, our, our adherence to the Ten Commandments. No, we're still under that law. What he's saying is we're no longer under the law of sin and death. We're no longer under the slavery and the bondage of this law that was written in our sinful nature that caused us to go astray, that caused us to go as sheep without shepherd astray in the opposite direction of God, that none was doing good. There was none who did good. No, we had all fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Because there was a law in our members that was directing us in that direction. Paul here is saying we're no longer under that law we're under grace and grace empowers the believer to have dominion over sin man I feel deliverance coming to some people you've been deceived falsely into thinking that you're gonna stay addicted to alcohol the rest of your life that you're gonna stay addicted to pornography the rest of your life that is just a part of you you've almost just accepted it and you've learned to just tolerate it but I believe that that this word is setting people free today. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus, every rope of sin that's been sent to entangle you with, sent to keep you down, sent to suffocate your destiny, sent to shipwreck your life, those ropes, those chains are breaking here and now by the fire of the word of God. For is not his word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the mold into pieces. Colossians 3, Paul again, brother Paul, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Yes, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Let it be out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man. Hallelujah. Put off the old man and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. The first line in Colossians 3 verse 5 says, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. That word put to death in the King James Version is translated mortify, which if you go back to the original Greek, it's the Greek word nekru, where we get necro, necro, which is um, necro, which means death, which means to, to make dead. In necro, in the necru, in the original Greek means to slay, to make dead, to 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 fight something as if you were fighting an impotent old man who is deprived of strength. Let, let me make this clear to you. This is really going to bless you. This is going to really put a, 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 a pep in your step, in your dominion over sin, when you realize how weak sin is. Paul here is saying, put to death, mortify the members of your body, which are fornication, evil desire, passion, anything of the flesh. He says mortify, that Greek word is nekru, which means to bring to death, to slay it as if you were fighting an old impotent man who is deprived of strength. Oftentimes in Christian sermons, we hear talk about sin as if it's this un un undefeatable thing, as if it was, it was unattainable to actually live in victory over that thing. Oftentimes when sin is brought up, it's, it's always in the sense of battling that thing and the believer is always having to keep his hands over his head to make sure sin doesn't beat, it up, beat him up enough or beat him up beyond repair. That sin is this undefeatable foe that's very strong and the strength of sin is very strong. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, oh sin, where is your strength where is your victory oh death where's your sting oh grave where's your victory but he says the law the strength of sin is the law the strength of sin is the law but we've been set free from the laws of sin and death so the strength of sin has been emptied sin no longer has power it is an impotent old man deprived of strength deprived of power so when Paul's saying put to death that thing, he's not saying it's going to be this massive battle, this nuclear battle. He's not saying it's going to be this unending, fierce battle. He's saying you're fighting something that has been deprived of strength already. Recognize your enemy is defeated. And as such, slay it. Take its head off. Do you remember when Goliath fell because of the stone that sunk into his forehead? David didn't just watch Goliath on the floor and say, well, that's it. What did David do? He ran to Goliath, grabbed his sword, and cut his head off. Some of you, some of you have received Christ, and the Goliath, Satan, has fallen to the ground. 
that sin, you had some sort of victory over it, but it's still lingering. The scent of it is still lingering because you haven't gone above and beyond to take the sword of the word and cut Goliath's head off so it never rises again. Some of you have had seesaw battles with, with sin and with addiction because you've had some sort of progress in it, but you haven't striked. You haven't struck the head of Goliath so it comes off. Paul here is saying... Don't just confess you have victory over sin. Don't just confess that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, put to death, slay it, take its head off. Jesus already defeated that thing. Jesus already overpowered that thing. Jesus already conquered sin and Satan. But now you have to go and put it to death. Put it to death, slay it, mortify it. Take its head off so it never rises again. Not prophesy in Jesus' name. Whatever seesaw battle you've had with sin, it ends today. Whatever demonic enticement that has led you constantly off the path that God wants you on into a path paved with thistles and thorns in the name of Jesus, not only are you being set free from that sin today, but the enemy, that trap, that sin is losing its head today. It's never going to rise up again. You are getting permanent victory over that thing today in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Number one, what do we have dominion over? We have dominion over sin. Number two, you know, going back to number one, we have dominion over sin. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So don't say the devil keeps making you do that. Jesus himself said, you have power to cut it off. You have power to cut it. You have power to stop it. You have power to stop it. It's not power in you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Number two, dominion over sickness and disease. Dominion over sickness and disease. Exodus chapter 23, verse 25. And so you shall bless or serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And God speaking here. So don't go off and say, TJ said you can live a life without sickness. I didn't say it. I'm just screaming into a microphone what God already said. He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one will suffer miscarriage nor be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. Long life. You have dominion over sickness and disease. Write that down in the comment section. I have dominion over sickness and over disease. I'm not dominated by sickness and disease. I've received Christ into my heart. And whatever doesn't run in Christ's body no longer runs in my body. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30 says, We are members of Jesus' body, of Jesus' flesh, and of Jesus' bones. Meaning whatever cannot access the body of Jesus, cannot access my body. Hallelujah. Whatever sickness cannot permeate the body of Christ, cannot permeate my body. That's not just I'll heal you when you get sick. Sick. That's a dominion that God bestows on the believer to have authority and power over sickness and disease that no matter what virus is circulating on the earth no matter what the cancer rate is no matter what the rate is of any type of disease no matter what new disease that comes out in the future no matter what pestilence is released on the earth or outbreak of virus the bible makes it clear god said i will put you in a place where sickness 
will no longer be a reality for the believer. Rather, you shall enjoy overwhelming health, overflow of health, overflow of strength. Where do we see this happening? In the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. You don't just see Peter walking in health and strength. You see the shadow of Peter falling on some that were sick and them being liberated of sickness and disease. That's not just enough health for Peter. That's an overflow. God doesn't want you to just have enough health for yourself. God wants you to carry an overflow so that even the shadow of you passing by is causing sickness and disease to be expelled and driven out of other people's bodies. Hallelujah. I want you to write that in the comment section. I carry overflow of health. I carry an overflow of health. I carry an overflow flow of health. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. If you're just tuning in, tuning in right now, you do me a great help and service. If you share this broadcast, like it if you're on YouTube, comment, comment, comment. Let's get this word out. I mean, I just, I see the devil trembling in his little booties and peeing himself a little today because of this broadcast. I see the devil's grip and reign of terror ending over many people's lives that will watch live and on the replay. Mark chapter 16. Dominion over sickness and disease. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll make, take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not by any means hurt them. Verse, five, uh, verse, verse 18. They will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about dominion over sickness and disease. It's not only the ability to stay clear from sickness and disease. It's a God-given power that whoever you even lay your hands on, that dominion will overflow into their body. And whatever tumor, whatever cancer, whatever disease, whatever unclean cell, whatever pain in those people's bodies, by reason of the dominion mandate that you carry, it will dominate the sickness in their body, causing that thing to be suffocated, strangled, and evict, leave, be expelled from their body. The Bible says you will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Hallelujah. That's not just having enough health for you. That's you become a weapon in the hand of God that everywhere you go, you provide health. You provide health. You provide strength. You become a sickness obliterator. You know, these hands used to be used to commit sin, but now God has registered them as weapons of mass destruction in heaven to destroy sickness and disease in people's bodies. Bible says in Psalm 103, Psalm 103. I think oftentimes we normalize sickness in life. I think oftentimes we think that it's just a regular part of living. And for the unredeemed, it is a regular part of living. But for those that are redeemed, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, what are we saying? What are we saying? We're saying that we've come to Mount Zion. We're saying we're going to heaven. We're saying our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But we're also saying what David said in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. Benefits of redemption. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Far too many Christians are... are uh, uh, not only, I don't want to say ashamed because they want the benefits, but they're 
They're not ashamed. They're embarrassed of the benefits. They're not ashamed. They're, they have a carry a sense of unworthiness to receive these benefits. David surely did not carry this sense of unworthiness to receive these benefits. David, like Joseph did, proudly wore his coat of many colors. I'm not ashamed of the blessing of God. I'm not ashamed to talk health. John the Apostle, in writing his third book, he wrote, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. John wasn't cowarding away. John wasn't, uh, uh, John wasn't holding back what he spoke about health and prosperity. John was unashamedly declaring the benefits of redemption. I would that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Joseph wore the coat of many colors even in the presence of his religious brothers and religious tradition. David was unashamed of the blessing and the benefits of the redeemed. And he said, he forgives all my iniquities and he heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns me with steadfast love and compassion. He satisfies my mouth with good things. I'm not just going to let the word show me what's available to me on the on, on the table that God's prepared before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to pull up a chair to the table of God and I'm going to put my face, I'm going head first into the blessing. I'm going to eat healing, which is the children's bread. I'm going to eat off the menu of heaven. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to splurge. I'm going to gorge myself. I am going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to eat everything heaven has to offer off of its menu. I'm going to I'm going to be forgiven and I'm going to be healed. David talks about that the the benefit of being redeemed includes the healing of all diseases. The healing of all diseases. Hallelujah. In redemption you have dominion not only over sin, dominion over sickness and disease. Sickness is not a regular part of life. Sickness, along with Satan and sin, is under your feet. Under your feet. The Bible says he sent his word, and his word healed them and delivered them from all destruction. And you're not just delivered to go into another sequence of deliverance. You're delivered to hold dominion over that thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You understand that you've been born into a new family? You've been born into a new family? Well, brother, you don't understand. This, this, this runs through my family. You know, my grandfather had it. My great-grandfather had it. My mother has it. This runs through my family. We can trace it back into our family tree. Do you understand that you've been born into a new family? You're part of the family of Abraham. You're part of the family of God. You're a member of God's household and a citizen with him, a citizen in the saints. Do you understand that the Bible says that you have been adopted? You've received the spirit of adoption into God's kingdom and into God's family. Do you know where Paul in Romans 8, when he talks about receiving the spirit of adoption, he's actually alluding to Roman laws of adoption. Under Roman law, when a kid was adopted, an orphan adopted into a new family, whatever, he, whatever link he had to the old family, whatever money or wealth was in the old family, whatever link or connection that that little orphan had to the old family is severed. And now when he is adopted into the new family, he automatically is entered into the will of the parents, automatically entered in to the resources of that family. He can go into the fridge. He can take whatever he wants. That person, that orphan, new father and new parents, everything that they own is now bestowed on them. 
is bestowed on them. When we were sons of the devil, which the Bible says there are people that are sons of the devil. Outside of Christ, you are not a son of God. You're a son of the devil. But when Paul was saying you've been adopted into the family of Christ, he's saying you have abandoned whatever legal right the enemy had over, had over you, whatever power the enemy had over you, whatever, uh, whatever transpired in that family, whatever was passed down in that lineage ends the moment you sign those adoption papers into the new family. And now whatever passes down through the lineage of the new family now passes into you. Whatever resources, whatever wealth accumulated, it all is transferred, conferred on you. Hallelujah. We were divorced from our old family and we've been adopted into God's family. Whatever does not, whatever cannot be traced into that family tree, that heavenly family tree can no longer be traced into you. Whatever you were, I'm not a Malkanji anymore. I'm a child of the living God. I don't care what ran through my family tree. I don't care what disease you can trace back in my family tree. I am now part of the family of the faith. And whatever I don't see in Abraham, whatever I don't see in Christ, I don't see in me and I don't tolerate in me. I have dominion over those things. Hallelujah. I have dominion over those things. Bible says, 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God, I'm born of God, born into a new family, has overcome this world. Overcome this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in Jesus gives you overcoming dominion power over the world and over the fallen things of this world and whatever state sin brought the fallen world into. Sin and sickness entered through Adam. Sin and sickness exited through Christ. Sin and sickness came and held dominion over Adam. Sin and sickness left and lost its dominion over those that are in Christ. And now you look at Jesus. You don't, there's no record of Jesus being sick. There's no record of the disciples being sick. There's no record of Jesus having to postpone his tour to Capernaum because he came down with a flu. You don't see any record of that. Well, that same dominion he had, we're a member of his body and we carry that dominion on the earth. God is going to make you supernaturally healthy in Jesus' name. God is going to restore health and a cure unto you in Jesus' name. God is going to, by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, quicken your mortal body. Not only so that you are healthy from this day onward, but that you will carry, like David said, my cup is running over with fresh oil. You're going to carry an overflow of healing oil to your generation. In Jesus' mighty name, you have dominion over sickness and disease. Number three. Three, what do we have dominion over? We have dominion over our thought life. We have dominion over our thought life. See, the devil understands Proverbs 23, 7. A man as he thinks, so is he. As a man thinks in himself, so is he. So the devil capitalizes on that to get you to think wrong things. 
Because the devil, listen to this. This is very powerful. This is going to really help you today. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, I fear, Paul speaking, I fear as Satan deceived Eve by his subtility, even so you should be deceived from the simplicity that is in the gospel. It doesn't say Satan overpowered Eve. It doesn't say Satan overpowered or prevailed against Eve. You know what it says about Satan's tactic against Eve? Satan deceived Eve. The devil has no ability to overpower the believer in Christ. But the devil can deceive the believer in Christ if the, the believer in Christ is oblivious or ignorant of the truth of God's word. He is the prince of darkness. He operates in darkness. And darkness spiritually is ignorance of the word of God. So if the devil can get you out of the truth of God's word and get you out of thinking and being aware of and meditating on the word of God, then he can come in with his deceptive, subtle tricks and bring about darkness over your mind, darkness over your Peace, darkness over your health, darkness over everything. So the solution to darkness is light. The solution to darkness is light. The devil wants it so that your mind is your master. And I hear a lot of people saying this. I, I can't seem to stop these thoughts. I can't seem to have control over these thoughts. I can't seem to gain authority over my thoughts. They say that. Because the devil wants that. Because the mind makes a terrible master. You'll have running thoughts. But the believer in Christ has the ability to make the mind not its master, but its servant. Second Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 to 5. And I'm going to show you how you can have dominion in the area of your mind. You don't have to let your mind run loose. You don't have to let your mind run its course. You don't have to go down the vicious cycles and downward spiral of uncontrolled thoughts and intrusive thoughts. You can take authority over your mind and over your thought life today. Your thought life is the battlefield. But you know what? Your thought life is also the victory ground. So it's imperative that you learn how, through the Bible method and mean, learn how to subdue your thoughts to the will of God and the word of God. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. You know what that tells you? You can't medicate these thoughts away. They're not carnal. There's no fleshly technique to take authority over your thought life. You can't medicate these thoughts away. I know that's the, the easy way out. Thoughts of depression, medicate, increase serotonin in the brain. But take off those pills. The problem is still there. That's a Band-Aid to a hemorrhage. You don't put a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. You get to the root cause of it. That's what the Word of God does. It's quick and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and powerful, and it cuts to the division of spirit and soul. Only the Word of God can go beyond psychology and psychiatry and counseling and get to the very psyche, the mind, the soul of man. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought into captivity. 
So Paul's saying, you have the ability to bring your thoughts into captivity, where you have dominion over them. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Everybody write in the comment section, I will not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. I will not be anxious. The Bible commands you not to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever thing is virtuous, or if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things things. Dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. God would not give us the command to meditate on certain things without giving us the grace to meditate on certain things. And I pray that the grace of God is going to come on you today so that you're going to filter your thought life through the filter of what we just read. If it's not true, it has no right to remain in my brain. It has no right to remain in my thinking cycles. If it's not true, well, how do we know what's true? The word of God. You're going to get sick. That's not true. I am not going to get sick. We just discussed that he takes sickness out of our midst and that the number of our days we're going to have fulfilled. And with long life, he'll satisfy us and show us his salvation. So I'm not, I'm not accepting that lie. And therefore, because it's a lie, eh, has no right to remain. Whatever things are noble, high thinking, whatever things are just or right, whatever things are pure, thoughts of sin, have no right to remain in my mind. I'm not going to be bombarded of, uh, of, of thoughts of sin. I'm not going to be bombarded with thoughts of, of doing wicked things. I'm not going to be bombarded with thoughts of sexual immorality. I'm not going to be bombarded with thoughts of anger and murder. Whatever is not pure, whatever is not holy, has no right to remain in my mind. Whatever things are lovely, if it's not lovely... What's lovely? Something nice to think on. Lovely. Something you love. Something that's, that's pleasurable in life. If it's not lovely, it has no right. It's blocked at the door. You know the Bible says, guard your mind above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life. See, it, how does unlovely things take place in life? It first starts with accepting unlovely things in your mind. How do... How does impure things take place in my life? How do impure things take place in your life? It first starts by accepting impure thoughts in your mind. How do bad reports transpire in our life or come to be in our life? It first starts by accepting bad reports in our mind. See, the devil doesn't have the power to bring these things to pass. He just has the power to get you to accept and believe them in your mind and in your heart. And what you believe, you're empowered to become. And what you expect. See, there's so many Christians that their expectation is trouble. How does trouble first come? It starts by accepting troubling thoughts in your mind. That's why the writer of Proverbs says, guard your mind. Guard your mind. He doesn't say fight the devil. Guard your mind. Out of it flows the issues, the problems, the troubles of life. Think on troubles, receive troubles. Think poverty, 
receive poverty. Think sickness, receive sickness. Think death, receive death. Think sin, receive sin. Think impurity, receive impurity. It's how it works. So Paul's writing down this filter that you should have in your mind. Don't just let, your mind's not the devil's garbage trash can. Your mind should not be dealt with as a trash can. It should be dealt with as holy ground. It should be dealt with as, some people, you keep, you keep your house so clean and your mind is a, a trash can that you've allowed to get out of hand. Some of you are actually overcompensating by trying to keep your home extra clean and extra tidy because of the compromise you've allowed in your mind. I want to remind you today, before you can make this house that you live in clean, you should take inventory of what's on the ground in your mind. You should take inventory. That's right, Sabrina. Your mind's a temple. You should treat it as a clean. The Bible says God wants to preserve you whole. Spirit, soul, which is your mind, and body. Your whole being is to be preserved whole and holy. Guard your mind, for out of it flows the issues of life. The issues of life don't come from the devil, according to Proverbs 4. The issues of life come from an impure mind. It comes from a mind that you've let run its course. Your mind's not a hamster reel. Kick the hamster off the wheel and put the right thoughts. Pump the right thoughts. So how do you do that? So let's go on. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's anything virtue or praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Dwell on these things. Well, how do I do that? How do I meditate on what is true? By filling your heart with what is true. How do you fill your heart with what is true? Joshua 1.8. Joshua, study this book of the law. Meditate on it day and night. The word of God is true. The word of God is noble. The word of God is just. The word of God is pure. The word of God is lovely. The word of God is full of good reports. The word of God is virtuous. And the word of God is praiseworthy. The only thing that can fit all eight of these requirements that Paul says you should put your mind through this filter, the only thing that can fit that, the only excellent document on earth that we have that can fit those eight parameters is the word of God. That's why... Joshua heard from the Lord, meditate on this book day and night, for then shall your way be prosperous, and then shall you have good success. Psalm 1 says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel or the thoughts of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the word of the Lord, and in his word he, he meditates day and night, for he will be like a tree firmly planted by the river bank that yields fruit in in every season, his leaves never wither and whatever he puts his hand to prospers. Hallelujah. I pray in the name of Jesus over everyone watching me right now. A grace is coming on you in Jesus' name where you will hold from this day onward to the parameters of Philippians 4 and verse 8. You will hold to the parameters of only allowing that which is pure, holy, noteworthy, praiseworthy, virtuous, and true in your mind. God is going to give you a grace today to take inventory on that which has been circulating through your mind all these years, and God's going to give you a grace to renew your mind. Renew your mind according to the perfect, acceptable, and, and good will of God. The Bible says in 
Romans chapter 12, we are not to be conformed with the patterns of thinking in this world. We are to renew our mind by the word of God, the transformative power of the word, so that we can prove the acceptable, perfect, and good will of God. God's going to put a grace on you right now where you're going to take inventory on your thoughts, eliminate and exterminate, flush out those thoughts from your mind. And from today, a hunger is coming on you for the word of God that you'll begin to store up the word in your heart. Proverbs says, a righteous man stores up the word of God in his heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. You want good things to come in your life? You got to make sure there's only treasure, not trash. Your mind's not trashing grounds. Your mind is treasure to God. And the Bible says, out of the good treasure of your heart shall proceed good things. I pray in Jesus' name that the fumigator of heaven is going to eliminate the trash and the scent of the trash of trashy thoughts. And God is going to instill in you from his word faith-filled thoughts. Hallelujah. By the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. Dominion over the mind. Number four. What do we have dominion over? You have dominion over your family order. Over your family order. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is God speaking of Abraham. For I have known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him. I have known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I have known Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him. Do you understand as a parent, you have dominion as the spiritual priest of your home over your children? And if you have an unbelieving spouse over your spouse, do you understand that you carry spiritual authority as the priest of your home to command your home, all right? You don't have to just leave it up to chance whether your children will serve the Lord or not. You can take authority over your children by commanding them to train them up in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they will never depart. That's a Bible promise. You have dominion over your family affairs. You don't have to let the devil come in and enter in and have every fiery dart hit your children only because you, you know what, who you are in Christ, but your children are left to fend for themselves. No, your children are under your umbrella. Your children can actually come under the same shield of faith that you have that quenches the fiery dart sent your way. Your home is not a trash ground for the enemy to come and lay on your couch and eat your Cheetos out of your cupboard. No, you can take that devil out of your home and cast him out. You can literally take authority over the depression that's seeking to cloud your children's mind. You can take authority over the anxiety and panic attacks that your daughter or your son is going through, and you can expel that thing and declare that your home is holy ground. Listen to this. Listen to this. Psalm 112. This is the will of God for your children. Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in keeping his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. His generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. Psalm 112 says, the descendants of the righteous will be mighty on the earth. Will be mighty on the earth. 
You can command your house in such a way where your children rise up not to be liabilities in their generation, but to be assets to serve their generation. I do that with my kid, and I remind them of it every single day. Judah, don't you know you're chosen? Lana, don't you know you're chosen? That you have a holy call and a holy destiny on your life? That you're going to be an asset to your generation? You shall know your God and be strong and do exploits in your world? That you will be mighty on the earth and you'll be blessed? You'll never know a day of lack. You'll never know a day of need. God is raising you up to serve your generation. You're going to be a mouthpiece of holiness. You're going to be like Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Righteousness in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation, you will shine as a child of light. And we're training, and I'm commanding those things over my children. I'm declaring those things over my children. I'm not leaving those things to chance over my unborn child in my mother in my wife's womb right now. I'm declaring those things over that child. That child shall rise up and be a David to take the heads off giants in his generation. That's what I'm declaring. That's what I'm decreeing. That's what I'm speaking. I'm not leaving it off for the devil to do whatever he wants to his my kids no my kids belong to the Lord my kids belong to the kingdom of God my kids will grow up and serve the Lord Joshua said it this way this is the dominion statement that you can speak over your family as for me and my house we will serve the Lord whether the devil likes it or not the LGBT community is not going to have my kids I don't care what they have in their agenda I've got another agenda laid out with the word of God for my children hallelujah hallelujah I don't care what Disney's planning God's will shall prevail in my house Hallelujah. I tell you in the name of Jesus, whatever hand the devil has stretched towards your kid, I feel the anointing so strong right now. Whatever hand has stretched towards your children, in the name of Jesus, it gets cut off now. Cut, cut off. Some of you have children that have... That, that have same-sex attraction. In the name of Jesus Christ, that cloud of confusion is dissipating. They're going to wake up out of that. They're going to come to themselves. They're going to be delivered from those thoughts of attraction in Jesus' mighty name. Some of your children have struggled in panic attacks and confusion and anxiety their entire life. In Jesus' name, that cycle of anxiety ends right here and right now. We take authority over that demon spirit of fear. God has not given them a fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Sound mind, dominion over the family. Number five, we finish with this. Dominion over Satan himself and over his demons. John 14, 30, Jesus said, The ruler of this world cometh, but he has nothing in me. Hallelujah. He has nothing in me. And we are in Christ. The devil has nothing in me. The devil has nothing in me to do with my family, nothing to do with my ministry, nothing to do with my life, nothing to do with my finances. I have dominion over the devil. The Bible says you will trample, trample serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. The devil's not over my head. The devil's not eye to eye with me. The devil is under my feet. Mark 16 says, these signs will follow them that believe. They will cast out devils. The Greek word there is ekbalo, you know what ekbalo means? It means to send someone out with violence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you have been the victim of satanic onslaught your entire life because you never understood what I spoke on these last three days. But today in Jesus' mighty name, you're going to ekbalo. The devil has deceived you into thinking that he has to stay there, that he has a right to remain. But today, these last three days, light has come on 
in your spirit and you realize that the same dominion the early church had over the devil that came by the same name of Jesus is the same name that I have today to use. There's no expiration date for the name of Jesus. The same name that they used to exercise authority over the devil and dominate the devil in the early church is the same name that's available to me to use today. Do you understand there's no weapon the early church got from God that we don't have available in our tool belt and arsenal today? Do you understand there's no weapon that God gave the early church against the devil that we don't have available to us today? Look, we have a supernatural enemy. He has supernatural tactics, but it would be unjust for God to give us a super to, to, to have us in a world where there's a supernatural enemy without having supernatural weapons to subdue the enemy under our feet it would be unjust no there is a supernatural enemy yes there's a devil that prowls around like a roaring lion yes the devil comes to steal kill and destroy but we have weapons of warfare to take authority and dominion over every weapon formed against us so that they never prosper and then it says every tongue every demon's tongue that rises up to prophesy defeat and failure over us the bible says we can condemn and that's what we're doing right now i condemn every tongue of opposition that's been speaking failure penury impoverishment sickness disease uh defeat over your life we condemn that in jesus mighty name we take dominion over every devil sent to harass your life today in jesus mighty name every missile the enemy has thrown your way gets intercepted by the blood of jesus today the blood is over your door the exemption covenant of god that was sealed by the blood is over your door today you might be in this world but you're not of this world you're born from above and as such you see you are seated at the king's table seated at the king's table and whatever this world is eating from you don't eat from that you're eating from another source hallelujah a thousand can die to your side ten thousand at your right hand it's never going to come near you anymore it's never going to come near you anymore the blood speaks of better things for you and your family the destroyer is passing over your home in Jesus' mighty name. The destroyer is passing over your finances in Jesus' name. The destroyer is passing over your mind in Jesus' mighty name. Whatever demon has come to torment your home, the anointing of God drives out that thing from your home today. You're free. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your freedom. I prophesy in Jesus' name from here till the end of this year, no matter what the first six months, seven months have dealt to you, from here to the end of this year are going to be days of you rejoicing and dancing on the enemy's head in Jesus' mighty name. You're far too precious and valuable to God for you to be the devil's stomping grounds. You're going to do the stomping. You're going to celebrate from this day onward. No more days of sorrow. Weeping endured for the night. Joy's coming in the morning. Joy's coming in the morning. Joy is here. Jesus is here. Your freedom is here. Your deliverance is here. Don't soak in sorrow. Don't read or just meditate on what I spoke on these last three days. Get up off that prison chair and walk out of that prison cell and enter into the glorious freedom. Jesus' blood paid and was shed for you to have. We overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb. You're an overcomer. 
You're more than a conqueror. Greater is he that lives in you than any devil or demon in this world. Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got a bonus point. But before I do that, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, do this with me right now. Pray this with me right now. If you have given your life to Jesus, but you're not living for the Lord, quite like you know you should, the fire has gone out. Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. The Bible says, as many as I love, I discipline. This is God's discipline. If you feel convicted today, today if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give in. Surrender to him. Because he knows the thoughts he has for you. They're not thoughts to destroy, not thoughts to harm you, thoughts to bless you, thoughts to increase you, thoughts to give you a future and a hope. But you have to give him your life before he can give you all those things, before he can give you salvation, before he can give you forgiveness. You have to first receive Christ. So pray this with me. If you've never done it or if you have, but you want to rededicate your life to Christ today, pray this from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. I, for, I repent. Forgive me of sin. Wash me clean by your blood. I turn from this world. I turn to Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. I'm saved now. I renounce darkness. I renounce the devil. I renounce sin. I belong to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to salvation. Sorry, wrong, wrong tab. Salvationnow.ca. The first link that's on the screen is I just got saved. Click it. Click that. Fill out that form. I want to get, I want to hear from you. I want to get something to you. A package free of charge. We pay shipping, we pay handling. You're never going to have us send out anything asking for money, nothing like that. This is just for me to bless you. I want to give you something. So go to that website, salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I look forward to hearing from you. For those of you that are here and you're believing God for dominion in the area of finances, listen to what I have here. Here's a bonus point. Dominion over finances. Dominion over finances. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. We're going to look at someone who had dominion in the area of finances. Because not all life's battles are spiritual. Not all life's battles are physical. Not all life's battles are emotional. Some people are struggling right now in the area of finances. And they need to hear what the word of God says. Because these arrogant, stupid people now that are preaching anti-prosperity Messages, anti-prosperity messages. I wrote this on Twitter. Listen to this. It is asinine to see some Christians who are anti-prosperity celebrate the wealth of the wicked when it has been stored up for the righteous. It's asinine to see the, some Christians who are anti-prosperity from the Bible, but will celebrate the wealth of the wicked when it has been stored up for the righteous. You, I, I see it all the time. Did you hear Kanye? Did you see what Kanye West just got? Did you see what Drake's new jet? Did you see this? Oh, they, they're looking on their Instagram reels, houses. They, they look at houses that they dream about and all these beautiful things. And I'm all for that. Have a nice house. Have a nice car. But you have these people that have a $1,400 iPhone 14 Max Plus 
that they pay $110 a month to pay their bill and they're watching things on a flat screen TV and then come out and tell Christians that it's wrong to desire increase in the area of finances. You know, I was listening to someone recently and he said, there was a man of God. He said, I, I was praying over people and I was praying that God would bring them into millions. And then he said, I was, I was gonna say billions. I was gonna say billions, but I kind of hesitated, but then I let it out. I said, billions. And another man of God who preaches proper biblical prosperity called him and said, hey, I heard, I was watching you preach the other night. I saw you hesitate when you were gonna say billions. And he said, I had to beat that same spirit of poverty when I started to enter into this because the devil doesn't want the body of Christ to enter into billions. He wants Hugh Hefner. He wants Playboy. He wants Bill Gates. He wants Charles Schwab. He wants, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, that guy, George Soros. He wants wicked men with wicked agendas to have the billions, but the church to always be coloring in red thermometers, never having dominion in the area of finances, coloring in red thermometers, having church cupcake bake sales to fundraise for the kingdom of God. Do you see that anywhere in the book of Acts? Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? Do you see David fundraising with cupcake sales when he has to build the, or he was accumulating the finances to build the temple? No, you don't see any of that. You don't see any of that. The devil wants to keep the church poor so the money is just in the hands of the wicked so the wicked can continue to do wickedly. But the Bible talks about an end time transfer of wealth that will come into the hands of the righteous to facilitate the end time harvest that shall take place. And who do we see dominate the area of finances most? In scripture, 1 Kings chapter 10. When the queen of Sheba heard of the, the fame of Solomon concerning the name of, G of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions, and there was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food on his his table and the seating of his servants and the service of his waiters and their apparel, their clothing, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit left in her. You know what that means? She fainted when she saw the prosperity of Solomon. And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I didn't believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the story was not even told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I have heard. Happy are your men. Happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. And blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. People hate the word. I don't know why. It's demonic. It's a spirit of poverty. But there's Christians that hate the word prosperity. They hear prosperity and they cringe. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you hate the word prosperity, you're going to have to rip 1 Kings 10 out of your Bible. You're going to have to rip Deuteronomy 28 out of your Bible. You're going to have to rip 
much of the Proverbs out of your Bible because Proverbs condemns poverty and commends prosperity. You're going to have to rip out Psalm 35 out of your Bible. You're going to have to rip out many, many scriptures. You're going to have to rip out Abraham's story out of your Bible because he was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Might as well go and rip out the description of heaven from your Bible because heaven's not... Uh, 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 an impoverished zone. Heaven is not a zone of poverty. Zone. Heaven is a zone of extreme prosperity. The streets are paved with gold. The walls are built up with every sort of diadem and every sort of jewel. The, the, the walls are crowned with diamonds. There's a sea of glass. The throne of heaven is such grandiosity that John couldn't even describe it with words that were appropriate for its definition. So if you hate prosperity, you got to rip out the story of Solomon, rip out David's life. He gave a $6 billion offering in 1 Chronicles 30. You can't do that without prosperity. You might as well just rip out quite a bit of the scripture. God's not against prosperity. God's not against you having money. God's against ha money having you. God's against you having prosperity as your fixation. God's against covetousness. God's not against reward. God's not against prosperity. God's not against money. He is against the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil but Deuteronomy 28 furthermore talks about God's blessing including not exclusive to but it, it definitely includes material prosperity it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to obey all that he's commanded you to do that the Lord will set you high above the nations of the earth and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you God forbid right because you obey the voice of the Lord your God blessed shall you be in the city blessed shall you be in the country blessed shall be the fruit of your body the produce of your ground the increase of your herds the increase of your cattle the offspring of your flocks blessed shall be your wallet your basket that represents your wallet because it's how they collected harvest they put it in their basket blessed shall be your basket your bank account your kneading bowl blessed shall be when you come in blessed shall you be when you go out the lord will cause your enemies to rise who rise up against you to be defeated before your face they'll come out against you one way and before you they shall flee seven ways the lord will command the blessing on your storehouses and all to which you send your hand to do he will bless you in the land that he's given you the lord will establish you and the lord will grant you prosperity in the fruit of your body in the increase of your livestock in the produce of your ground in the lands which the Lord your God swore to give you. The Lord will open up to you his good treasure and pour you out. Malachi chapter 3. What do we read in Malachi? Malachi says, if you'll bring in the tithes and offerings and stop robbing me in this, in this way or in this fashion. What does Malachi say? Prophet Malachi, the Italian prophet. Prophet Malachi says, if you'll indeed bring in the the the, the tithes and the offerings, that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See, if I will not open up for you the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will no longer be room enough to receive it all. That's dominion in finances. That's when God takes you from the place of always being in need to now being the one who meets the need. And that's the definition of prosperity. Prosperity is not having your needs met. Prosperity is heaven's empowerment for the believer who's interested in it to meet the needs of his generation hallelujah i'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes there's some people that they're under the dominion of of financial pressure the devourer is financial pressure it's like when you receive a paycheck it's like it just empties out and you're left with nothing and you're constantly just taking your paycheck 
from the employer's hand into the shredder. That's the devourer. Always something wrong happening. Tires are constantly going flat. Always having to buy new tires. Always hitting nails on the ground. Always hitting potholes that are causing your tires. Then always car problems. Constant home problems. One pipe's bursting. Another pipe's bursting. That's not normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll rebuke the thing chewing away at your finances. I'll rebuke at it. And so that he will never be able to destroy your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. And all the nations will call you a blessed, delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's called dominion in the area of your finances. Jesus said it this, and I'll finish with this. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to put on, your life as to what you'll eat. These things dominate the minds of unbelievers. He says, look at the lilies of the field. You see how gloriously clothed they are? Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these little lilies. And will not God much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? O ye of little faith, will not God much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Prosperity is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 5.18, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage. It's your heritage. It's your inheritance. It's not select few believers that God chooses to make rich. It's your heritage. It's your heritage. Prosperity is not a promise. Prosperity is activated by getting under the wisdom of God's word and working his principles. That's how it works. That's how I know it's not respective to any given individual. It's to anyone that will, that will take the wisdom of God and work with it with pure motives to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Who do you think God wants to make more rich? The one who's going to buy cigars and who's going to buy strippers and alcohol and cocaine? Or the one who's going to use his wealth to write up mega checks to finance crusades and evangelism? I'm not an idiot, but I think it's number two. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the, the days of his life because God will keep him busy with the joy of his heart. Hallelujah. I don't know who told you that you should feel wrong about having nice things. Who told you you should feel wrong about having or desiring prosperity and increase in the area of your finances so you can be of better use and better position to be a blessing to others, but that's a lying devil that's been sent to keep you poor, to keep you small, to keep you futile in how God can use you in that area. I'm here to blow off the religious blinders of your mind and tell you, God, the blessing of the Lord maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. Here's how you tap into this. We talked about, the Bible says that wisdom, the profits of wisdom is greater than silver and greater than gold. We read in Solomon's story, it was the wisdom of God that built the house, that built the tables, that got the food on those tables, that got the, the apparel. It was the wisdom of God in Solomon. Jesus said, is not a greater than Solomon here? 
The queen of the east came to see this, the wisdom of Solomon and one greater than Solomon is here. And he was talking about himself. And Christ is the wisdom and knowledge and treasures of God. And that Christ lives in you. So that means you have a greater capacity than Solomon in you. Greater capacity, greater potential. Because Solomon had a wisdom. You have the wisdom of God. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.